Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Tasha Gandimahaja. I met Tasha recently at a business event and we were chatting in a break when Tasha told me about her work as a breast cancer surgeon and her dedication for educating and informing people about the issues surrounding breast cancer. Intrigued to learn more, I was thrilled when Tasha accepted my invitation to come on the podcast so we could explore further. I hope this episode helps anyone with breast cancer at whatever stage or if you are connected to or affected by breast cancer in any way. Tasha hosts her own podcast, My Breast, My Health, and she has a YouTube channel under the name Dr. Tasha. Tasha, welcome to Love This Food Thing. Hi, Gemma. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really thrilled. It's been an honor. Well, yes, you might not say that when we finished. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be like, oh, that was like pulling teeth, you know, (laughs) but that would make you a dentist. Anyway, um, Yes. So let's, yeah, let's crack on because we've kind of got limited time, haven't we? How would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? Um, definitely a friend, actually. Um, yeah. I have in, a, in what way? I love food. I don't have any kind of, you know, I'm not particularly picky about food. I'm a vegetarian. Um, mm-hmm. I have been for a couple of decades now. Um, Why did yeah, you become I, vegetarian? That's a good question. It was not not really religious reasons, more, you know, kind of the I like fluffy animals reasons. So, yeah, yeah, animal yeah. ethical reasons. Ethical reasons, yeah. Do you feel better for being vegetarian? What in terms of? In uh, well, obviously, terms mentally and emotionally, but physically, do you feel better? Um, to be honest, I mean, I can't really remember. You know, mm. I mean, most of my adulthood. Um, I, I've been a veggie most of most of that time. Actually, I started when I was, you know, just about starting medical school, I think, or just before thereabouts. So, you know, a long time ago, in my in my twenties. So, um, yeah, I don't miss I don't miss meat uh, or fish, um, you know, um, a- anything like that really. And um, um, I, I don't have any any problems with being a vegetarian. I think it's really interesting. I, you know, when I started being one, it was really hard, just in terms of availability of foods, especially mm. if you go out. But nowadays, yeah. it's it's much much better. So I'm thankful for that. But yeah, you know, I feel I feel good for being a vegetarian. I guess both physically and mentally as well. I have a, a conundrum because I'm mostly vegan, right? But sometimes I will eat some seafood. All right, the right. cheese or something. So that's my mostly vegan. And I'm conflicted because I know that the dairy industry is horrendous. Yeah. As horrendous as the meat industry. Yeah. How do you how do you reconcile that? No, it's really yeah, I mean, I am not vegan. Um, although mm. I you know, I don't have um I use um oat milk and soy milk um as a substitute for dairy milk. Um in my yeah. in my coffee you know yeah. in the morning coffee mm. um but i do still eat eggs and and cheese um and you know it's, i guess it's it's what you can what you can live with isn't it um i yeah. need you, you know if you need um protein and 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 things where you don't think you can get that from other sources i know you can yeah. get protein from many other uh, plant-based sources but um um, for me, I just prefer to have eggs and it's, it's yeah, it, it is kind of sometimes a struggle, I guess. And it's just something that you have to have to be able to live with really. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. And it, it, we lived out in the countryside for a year recently and mm. at the bottom of the road, well, not the bottom road, about a mile away, they had fresh organic eggs. I could see all the chickens running around. I had eggs right. then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well. I mean, you know, if you if you source your eggs um, mm. ethically, you know, free range, organic, then um, you know that that's a better choice. Obviously, it's a bit difficult at the moment, isn't it? Because they've kept all the birds in because of the flu. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I think it is. you know, mindful eating is you know is what you can you can do. 
You're right, though. It's what it's what you can live with, and and exactly. you have to live with yourself as you put your head in the pillow at night. And uh, yeah, yeah, you do your best, don't you? You do your best, yeah. What was food like at home when you were a kid? What the kind of messages you got about food, received about food? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, my 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 mum would cook um, every day, and we never really had you know good foods and bad foods necessarily. You know, we could. Um, we could have treats if we wanted to. Um, we, we used to have, you know, good, um, kind of cooked food at home. So we didn't really, you know, I don't remember us eating kind of much, much junk food. Um, so yeah, you know, my relationship with food wasn't, wasn't, um, wasn't difficult. We would sit, you know, kind of old style sit around a table, you know, yeah. um, at dinner time and, and eat together as a family. So And talking yeah. to each other, yeah? Yeah, and talking <laughs> rather than sitting in front of the telly, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of good old kind of traditional way of, of eating um, around, around the table and making it, you know, food also was a very sociable thing. So we would go to meet friends or go to their homes and eat um, with them and things like that. So um, food was always associated with positive experiences rather than negative ones. Have you been in contact with people who've had issues around food in your work or socially? Um, yes, yes. Um, um, both, you know, uh, personally, um, you know, in kind of your, your friends um, and and also at work. And, you know, it, it, it's tough, you know. Food is such a powerful thing in, in people's lives. And um, what do you, know, you think it means? What do you think food food means for people? Yeah, I'm interested. Everyone has a different take on it. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I guess food can be considered as friend or foe, as, as, you know, as, as your first question um, Mm. framed. Um, Mm. And if it's a friend, um, that's great. And if it's a foe, it can be really, really tough because food is there, you know, I guess to, uh, is supposed to be nutritious and, you know, uh, it heals you, it helps you, um, it helps you kind of grow and, and thrive. And, um, if you, if you have difficult relationship with food, that that's a really difficult thing to have to deal with. Is there any kind of link? Maybe there isn't the research. I'm just thought of this question is there any kind of link between breast cancer and eating disorders as in previous an experience of poor nutrition inadequate nutrition yeah no that's an interesting question i don't know uh right. the truth in terms of whether there's actual been actual research um pertaining pertaining that link okay um, I mean, the honest truth is i think that you know the the the, the greatest risk for breast cancer is um being a woman um, and mm. growing older, and they're, okay. the two, they're the two greatest risks, really, because of the changing hormone levels. It, because obviously, you know, breast cancer is is the number one cause of cancer that affects women, right. but also aging. Um, you know, the the older we we become, the you know our cells just become less stable, um, and cancer cells occur because uh, our cells just don't behave as as they should behave so um, so yeah as we get older and um, and this is true for you know for a lot of cancers cancers just are usually more more prevalent amongst amongst people who are who are older so if there was an image I'm, I'm thinking of little cancer cells running around or cells as they get older, do they get it's kind of sticky and, and scratchy and kind of club together in their despondent tribe? Um, so what normally happens is, you know, we have like, you know, I guess billions of or millions of cells. Mm. Um, and they cells are very clever in how they regulate themselves. So um, there's this thing called a cell cycle, which kind of, um, regulates how a particular cell behaves. Yeah. And if it's a, you know, a, a normal cell would have, um, 
kind of a checkpoint, which kind of, if, if a cell suddenly misbehaves, um, it can trigger its own death. Um, so the cell right. kind of dies because it's just misbehaving. Now, for cancer, for cells that become cancer, that ability to to trigger that cell death um, is not there anymore. And so instead of dying, it kind of continues to grow and just continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, and it multiplies and divides and grows and grows and grows. And that's that's how cancer develops really. So say if you're talking about, you know, say breast cancer, um, mm. that's, that's why you can feel, you know, obviously not all breast cancers, present as lumps because you can detect breast cancers on, on mammograms as well. But if, you know, if you feel a lump, um, or you know, for breast, a breast cancer lump, for example, mm. that lump presents itself because these cells have just completely, you know, divided and multiplied and grow to a point where it becomes obvious to feel. So that's, that's how a cancer works. And because they've lost the ability to self-destruct. That's right. Yeah. That's very clever, these things, yeah. Yeah, very clever. Mm. So what's the, what's the age period then uh, for, for women when they're most at risk for, for breast cancer? Well, you know, um, the, the risk increases from the age of 50, really. Um, and that's why screening um, women happens from the age of 50 because, you know, a disease has to be common enough for it to be detectable by a screening tool. And so mammograms are, you know, um, have, have been instigated to start from the age of 50. But that doesn't mean to say that, you know, you can't get breast cancer in your 30s or 40s because you can. Um, but um, yeah, the most important thing is to, you know, to be breast aware and examine your breasts. And is it linked to the menopause? Um, so you have two types of breast cancers. Obviously, you know, breast cancer can happen in the premenopausal setting or postmenopausal setting. So, um, you know, if you're in your 30s or 40s, then the cancer would be a premenopausal cancer. And over the age of 50, most likely it's a postmenopausal cancer. So I guess, you know, the as we age over 50 and above, you know, most women would be postmenopausal. So, men do get breast cancer, don't they? Yes, they. That's absolutely correct. Men do get breast cancer. It's not. It's not that common. Mm. Um, you know, over over three hundred and fifty men uh, or thereabouts, I think, in the UK would get breast cancer per year, whereas you know, um, just shy of fifty thousand women. So that's wow. that's the that's the difference. But yeah, you're right. Men can get breast cancer. And it's something, you know, we don't really talk about very much necessarily because it's not that common, but men do need to be aware of it. And men are more likely to get prostate cancer, aren't they? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's very interesting. Is there a link then between, what? Or do you, what is the link between dwindling estrogen reserves? And then I imagine for men, it's dwindling testosterone testosterone reserves, isn't it? If I could say Yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's with, with women, it's, you know, it's breast cancer is an interesting, well, most cancers are actually are multifactorial. So in terms mm. of, in terms of what may cause it, you know? Yeah. So although, you know, the risk factors of say breast cancer for women, uh, generally is, you know, one being a woman and two aging. There are also, yeah. you know, other risk factors that um, we may, we can't necessarily pinpoint. There could be environmental factors, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's some genetical influences now, you know, as you, I'm sure know that, you know, there are certain um, mutations or alterations in the genes, specifically the BRCA, the BRCA genes, which I'm sure uh, many people have heard about. And mm. if you get um, an alteration in um, the BRCA gene, then your risk of getting breast cancer, your lifetime risk, you know, shoots up to um, about 70%. So, you know, it's a very multi multifactorial um, uh, condition. And 
and the reason why we I say that is because you know you can get breast cancer in in your thirties or forties as well. So um, cancer is a very complex complex disease, and you know I'm not just talking about breast cancer, but just cancer in general. Um, they're, they're very very complex processes. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. Hi, welcome back. I'm with Dr. Tasha. We just had a little giggle about me saying her Ganda Mihaja <laughs> surname. And I said, I'm a voiceover artist. I've got this. I can do it. I did it. No, I'm, I'm not so going to try it again. I'm <laughs> yes. impressed, Gemma. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Years of experience. Can we talk a bit about the BRCA gene? I would, as you were talking about it, I realized that I didn't really know what you were talking about, even though going, mm hmm, yep, yep, I've got that. Can you screen for a mutated, if that's the right word, BRCA gene early on in someone's life? That's a very good question. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Very okay. Good Brilliant. <laughs> so, so, you know, so, okay. So the BRCA uh, gene, there's one uh, BRCA gene one and BRCA gene two. And in fact, we all have these genes, you know, we have, we have the BRCA gene and, mm. um, when people, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I've got the BRCA gene. I think when they, when they say that, um, and they've had breast cancer, um, or surgery to prevent, uh, to minimize, you know, to minimize breast cancer risk, mm. um, what they mean is they, they have the mutation in that gene. Right. So the, the BRCA gene actually is there to protect us from developing breast cancer. But then if there is a mutation or an mm. alteration, it doesn't work as well. That's how you know um, the 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 propensity of getting a breast cancer increases, um, and there has to be another. This is called the second hit, which is some and some other environmental factor that will then um, trigger or you know kind of make these cancer cells to 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 develop. And so, if you have, as I said earlier, if you have the, the, an alteration in um, these genes, then your risk of getting breast cancer increases, your lifetime risk increases, um, but also not only your breast cancer risk, but also ovarian cancer, especially if you have the BRCA2 gene mutation. Right. Um, now, the, you know, only five to 10% of breast cancers are linked to genetic inheritance. So is the it majority, that small? Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's quite surprising for many mm. people because, you know, people think actually, you know, the genetic uh, link is higher, but in fact, that's not true. So the majority of breast cancers actually develop, um, the, it just it just happens. So it's something we, that we call sporadically, just happens, just one of those things. Um, and only a small proportion are actually linked with, uh, you know, are genetically linked. And there are other, you know, um, not only the BRCA genes, but there are other um, other high risk genes um, that are uh, that we know of that can increase that risk of uh, developing breast cancer, um, and you know uh, they called and um, check two for example that there's another uh, another gene and there are other other genes that perhaps we are unsure about or we haven't actually found yet. So the field of genetics um, is forever evolving, really. What do you think about processed food? And the link between cancers, not necessarily cancers, actually processed foods and how they then behave in our bodies and how cells might have to change to accommodate the, I'm going to call it poison. I'm not mm. demonizing it. I'm just imagine if it's a processed food, it's not a, it's not a readily recognized food in the body. Mm. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, unfortunately, processed food is becoming more and more prevalent, isn't it, in mm. in in our diet? Mm. Um, and uh, I think if we can minimise processed food intake, I think all the better. And it's just because processed food is where you know a food type has been altered so much yeah. that it doesn't actually look look like what it should look like. Yeah. And with that, it's, you know, you've got additives, preservatives, coloring, sugar, salt, and all all that stuff, which isn't really healthy for your body. Um, and, you know, uh, I think 
we know that you know high sugar, high salt increases the risk of um, you know obesity and, and and weight gain, and that is in itself is not good for your general health broadly. But of course, it has you know you, you can um, increase the risk of diabetes, of heart disease, uh, yeah. and of course other cancers as well. So you, yeah, I think we have to be mindful about processed foods. Do you think that if the if the food that comes into your body, if the processed food, whatever it is, it's been changed and it's unrecognizable. Do you think that the cell that receives that food, forgive me if I'm being simplistic, do you think it's actually doing its best job by trying to accommodate it and then it realizes it can't, I know it hasn't got a consciousness, well, it might have a consciousness, that it's doing its, mm-hmm. its, its very best to then accommodate it and finds it's unable to and therefore can't self-destruct. Are there those kind of research projects going on? Oh yeah, that I mean I don't know possibly, um, but I think I don't think that's a simplistic way of looking at it. I mean, you know, you you might think that's kind of a logical way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you know all these chemicals that are in processed foods, they can't they can't be good for your body in general. Mm. And I'm not sure our bodies, um, you know, is able to withstand all of these uh, potential harmful chemicals that we ingest because I don't know you know I don't really know what's in these processed foods really no no one does do they no no, exactly nobody really knows knows. you don't know what's what's on the label um and what's actually in on in these foods yeah um and I think you know I'm not trying to demonize uh processed food and I guess it depends no we're not we're not yeah I, I I think it depends on I guess there's processed foods and ultra processed foods, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of our foods are processed, you know. Of course. Um, Oat milk, it's processed. Yeah. Yeah, right. So if we let's so let's talk about the the differences between processed and ultra processed. So processed foods, for example, say I don't know, Hula say hoops. say corn, right? Okay. Sweet corn, corn right? Yeah. So yeah. sweet corn in in a in a tin. Yeah. That's processed, right? Because yeah. it's not on its on on the on the cob anymore. It's been mm-hmm. kind of, you know, taken off of it and um put in a tin and probably a little bit of salt's been added to it. But that's still good, right? That yeah. is processed food in a way because it's you're not eating it from the corn, uh, the cob, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still processed. But that's good. Now, if you take that corn and you and then that that in that journey um of food processing is then is that to um, and subsequently gets turned into corn chips yeah that's ultra processed yes and that you know the nutritional value of a of corn chips compared to um you know sweet corn kernels are very different yeah right so um or say for example if you take an orange and an orange get, then gets turned into orange juice. Well, that's processed. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of sugar in it, and it's probably not particularly, you know, um, you, you wouldn't drink too much orange juice because it's probably highly sugarfied. Yeah, it affects your juice. Sugarfied is a word. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, sugarfied is now a word. Do- Dr. Tasha has spoken. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but then if you take that orange, um, and then you make it into, I don't know, like um, an orange lollipop or something. Yeah. It's ultra processed. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. not really yeah. good in terms of the nutritional value of, of that lollipop. It's just sugar with lots of chemicals and um, coloring. Um, I, yeah, so, yeah. Also environmentally, the pollutants yeah. in the air. I'm, I'm thinking, so if someone comes, you, you have a patient and they have breast cancer. Is a mm-hmm. lot of your um, care about their nutrition and diet. I know you're not a nutritionist, but mm-hmm. clearly it's a part of your work. Excuse me. Is there lots of chat about food and diet? Mm. Is there? Um, so, not really, okay. unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. No. Do you not have the time or is it not appropriate? Or So, it, that's uh, time probably um, a bit of both actually okay so I obviously I so I'm a surgeon mm-hmm. um, and patients would come to see me I I'd probably you know I would diagnose um, their cancer 
and then I would treat um, treat those who've been affected by breast cancer with surgery. Um, and then once they once I've once their surgery is completed, um, then they would go on to the next level of their treatment, whatever that may, that may be. So that could be, say, chemotherapy if they need chemotherapy, um, or radiotherapy. Um, sometimes they may need some tablet treatment as well. And usually they will then go to see an oncologist who will then take, you know, look after their care um, going forward. And then once that has finished, um, then it depends on, on where you work. But um, in, my, in my trust, uh, they will then at some point have an interview with um, what we call the open access follow-up service. So, and this is a great service because they will then have a very long discussion with the breast care nurse who will then talk about their holistic needs and what to look out for, what you need to do if you find something, you know, if you have any uh, concerns, who to call, and they will then um, uh, triage the, the problem and then maybe they will come back to see myself or see an oncologist. Now, during that consultation, um, you know, of course, they will talk about um, things that people can do to to stay healthy. Mm. But the honest truth is, I'm not sure if nutrition is talked about. And I think, number one, there isn't the time. But secondly, um, we don't have the expertise within within the setup to talk about nutrition because it's never been deemed part as as, as an important part of the culture. I think so. I think, you know, I think nutrition has been sadly rather neglected um, just in the general, uh, you know, kind of the health professional field. Uh, certainly when I was going through medical school, um, I can't remember really a talk about nutrition. You know, I um, find it that, extraordinary. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. I think... It is extraordinary that we don't talk about it. Now, I'm not sure whether uh, we are talking about it more now in schools. I hope we are uh, because, you know, um, it is so, so important. And I think I think generally as a, as a society, we are talking about food more, which is good. And I think, you know, with the advent of just more connectivity and social media and, you know, people are talking about it more. And so the accessibility to more information about nutrition is there. The question is, of course, is there, there's also unfortunately a lot of misinformation out there and that becomes, you know, potentially a problem for people who may or may not realize, okay, well, actually this is just, you know, myths and it's not, they're not true or um, these are actually truths. And it's, it's difficult to differentiate what's right and what's not. Um, but I think it's, it is a shame that we don't talk about nutrition more um, with our patients. And it's something that, you know, we, we, we really need to change. Um, and getting the expertise on board is, is one way of doing that, I think. I'm struck by a couple of things. I was just thinking about the old debate about how bad hospital food is. And certainly mm. in recent visits, if I visited anyone in hospital, I think, have I? Yeah, past couple of years, my stepdad was in hospital and I saw what he was given to eat. And it was, mm. it's pretty, pretty mediocre, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, really. Yeah. It's like being stuck in the 60s or something. Yeah. And I'm also struck by, as we're talking about food and, and just the politics of food and the availability. And if you don't know how to cook and you don't have any money, you're going to get the cheapest and yes. likely most processed food on offer. Mm. Mm. And that's a big problem. I think a lot of it's to do with poverty mm. and disenfranchised communities. Mm. And then, oh, yeah, I can go on and on about it. I won't go on about it. So we can talk about, yeah, go on. No, I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's a bit like financial literacy, mm. you know, Mm. Um, I know I'm digressing a little bit, but no, do, we do. We, we're not really taught. We don't talk. We're not taught yeah. about finance at all, right? At mm. at school, at, you know, just generally. 
Um, uh, you may, you, you know, if you're lucky, you might get taught that by your parents, but otherwise you kind of, you, you're not really taught about financial literacy. And, that, you know, that's for me, I think that's something just important to, um, to, to be able to, you know, to, knowledge that you ought to know just to live. Yes. Um, Yes, it's, it's, you know, it's the basic needs. It's just basics, right? Um, yeah, and so is cooking for yourself, and so is being able to go out and be able to get some local fresh vegetables, which yeah. you can do. We're apparently quite advanced in the Western world. Yeah. And then you and can bring those vegetables back to your home if you have a home, or you can go somewhere in the community and you can cook them and you can feed yourself and maybe someone else. Yeah. It's not such and a stretch. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like financial literacy. We're not really talked about the basics of just cooking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, unless, unless you know, your family, you know, people, you know, whoever cooks at home, or if anybody cooks at home, that's great. And whoever that person is, you know, if they teach you or get you interested or, you know, just the basics. Yeah. Um, getting to know what good food is, getting to know, you know, uh, what, where where food comes from, you know uh, what fresh produce means and what they are, and what you know what you can or shouldn't should eat and shouldn't eat, or perhaps minimize the amount of foods that you ought to eat, kind of thing. Um, I just don't think that that is taught enough um, at school, and I think it's probably something that ought to be made mandatory, just just yeah. so that people know how to do basic f cooking i think and also um, the the value that's placed on food and um well the value therefore on on life on all 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 um representations of life you know back to the mm. vegetarianism but um you know food is life isn't it exactly food is life and you know what what you you have on your table you you, you ought to be grateful for you know yeah um and I think it is really difficult, though, because, you know, we live in a fast paced society. Everything is readily available. You know, everybody's kind of stressed and overworked. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. all you want to do is get home and just um, relax and, you know, for sure, what's the most convenient. For sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's it must be really it is really hard. Uh, but I think trying to to I guess um, put the knowledge out there and just getting you know more people to understand that actually cooking isn't that scary um, you know having you know even egg on toast is better than having something in, in put in in a microwave I would suggest yeah yeah um, yeah yeah you know um, just little things like that and I think it's yeah it's something we need to talk about more. We'll be right back. Oh, welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Dr. Tasha. Tasha, I'm sitting in a room that's got dark now because it's raining. Oh, no. Really? I, feel like, I know. I feel like I'm sliding down behind the <laughs> surround shield. It's grey out there. Oh, no. Is it, is, it, is it raining? It is. It's pouring down, but we do need the oh, rain, don't gosh. we, to grow the food, to grow the grain. Oh, my goodness, of. honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I've been welcoming the rain because the grass where I am now is it's kind of green, which is okay, amazing. Okay, yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm yeah. not complaining. I'm not complaining, <laughs> just being typically British. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. It runs for the whole month. Yes. What would you like to say about that? And then what would you, I would like to know about your, your thoughts, I imagine, and experiences, I imagine they've changed over your time as a breast cancer surgeon about what people can do with their diet and food. This being a kind of foodie podcast yeah. uh, to set themselves up for, for being healthy. Also when they have treatment, because I know you're having chemo and radiotherapy you don't want to eat and you're very sick and mm. then and afterwards so not I don't want to put you on a under professional pressure just more as an observer mm. because you've been living in this world for over over 10 years yeah yeah what would you say yeah. about October I mean October what would you say about breast cancer <laughs> awareness month yeah so October as um as you said and uh, probably lots of lots of your um, listeners um, are aware of is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Now, mm. um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month is, I guess, a month where 
um, many many people talk about breast cancer. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, there there are, there'll be a lots of things surrounding breast cancer, which is good. Although you know, personally, I think you ought to be aware throughout the year rather than just one during the month yeah. of October. Yeah. Um, but you know, as it is approaching, I guess uh, if if I may just take this opportunity to please to, do. Um, to just remind uh, women and men um, what to do um, when examining their breasts. So, you know, there's yeah. some things that you need to look out for when examining your breasts. And there, of course, you know, you, first of all, you, you look at your breasts and you look for um, any skin changes, um, any dimpling, mm. um, you know, which means that the skin kind of is draw- withdrawn or drawn inwards into the breast itself. Yeah. Um, any kind of redness, any um, a- any contour changes in the breast, and then you examine your breast by um, feeling them, and you use the you know the flat of your your um, your hand, mm. and um, you again look for you know and feel for for lumps or any nodularity, um, any skin thickening. Um, uh, you look for any discharge actually from the nipple, uh, usually if it only happens spontaneously. So it only happens on its own rather than, you know, squeezing the nipple area. So, so don't do that. Okay. Um, and also don't forget to examine your armpit as well, because your right. breast actually, first of all, the breast actually not only, you know, it does extend all the way quite close to, to the armpit. So make sure you don't forget that part of the breast and then don't, forget to examine your armpit as well. So those are the kind of things that you need to look out for. If you had a lump that popped up sort of on on the back on your back opposite your breast, would that be related or would that be something different? It's likely to be something different. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you know there's no no breast no breast symptom if it's you know if it's a kind of an isolated lump on the back that's most likely to be something diff- un- unrelated I would say. Okay. So let's talk about your thoughts on, on. I'm not going to say good, this whole good and bad food thing on clever, clever nutrition for mm. if you are, if you have breast cancer, if you're undergoing treatment, mm. what happens when you can't eat and you obviously need to eat. Um, and afterwards, maybe you have been given the all clear and you're in remission and how to keep well. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, good, you know, I Good food and bad food. That kind of, I, I'm not really sure how how um, how I would consider that being helpful. Really, mm. I mean, I think any you know anything. I know this is a cliche, but anything in moderation is good, in yeah. my opinion, right? Yeah. Because I, you know, and we all know that if you um, stop yourself from eating something, you want it even more. Mm. Right. So if you're, you know, if you're really, really wanting chocolate, you you know, and you're stopping yourself from eating chocolate, all you be, all you'll be thinking about is I really want the chocolate. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, just give yourself permission to have it. And then that would kind of um, alleviate your craving. And then, you know, you've had it and that that's it. So I think how I see food is that rather than... Um, taking food away from your plate, um, I think it's better to look at it as adding stuff onto your plate and making it more, not only fun to eat, but also more diverse. Interesting. And um, so, you know, because I think, for example, dieting, you know, dieting um, is when you exclude food from your diet. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So, you, you know, you say, oh, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. Um, whereas I think if you if you look at, in, on your plate and you think, well, actually, maybe um, let's not think about removing food. Maybe I can be, make my plate more nutritious by adding more diverse foodstuffs onto it. So um, eating the rain- so, yeah. you know, eating the rainbow, I'm sure yeah. you've heard of that, right? And yeah adding color to your plate. So, and yeah, you have to, it is, you know, we all know this, you have to eat more fruit and veg and, you know, that that is true, but you can also add things like herbs, which is really, you know, really, really nice. And it can add flavor to your food, adding things like, um, 
you know, spices and things which can add flavor to your food. And especially if your taste buds um, uh, can get quite quite affected with cancer treatment, you know, things, spicy foods can can help really um, with reigniting your taste buds, for example. Um, And just eating healthily. So my patients do ask me, you know, uh, other things that should I avoid and yeah. remove from from my diet, mm. um, and actually, I say not no, not really. You know, I think you ought to just eat a good, healthy diet. Now, you know, if you want to have a bit of cake, then go ahead. You know, I don't, I don't say don't eat this, don't eat that. I think eating anything in moderation is fine, um, and just increase your intake of um, fruit and vegetables, um, and diversify what you eat. What do you think about the link between breast cancer and alcohol consumption? Yeah, so we know that reducing alcohol consumption um, is very helpful in reducing risk risk of cancer recurrence. So why is that? Um, uh, there's a quite a complicated um, research, and okay, <laughs> could, you, could you distill years of work into twenty-five words? Well, I can't, I'm afraid, um, <laughs> um, but. I think the take-home message, mm. um, I would say, mm. top-line message mm. um, for anybody who have who has been affected by breast cancer, yeah, in terms of what they can do, and this is why you know these are the things that I, I do also tell my patients would be um, num- number one is to exercise more, right? Um, number two, you know, we know that there is there is a um, a link in reduction in alcohol consumption and recurrence in breast cancer. And the third would be maintaining a steady weight. So, you know, they're all kind of linked to not only con- consumption of of foods, but also lifestyle. And movement exercise is something that, you know, again, perhaps we don't talk about enough, you know, exercise yes. is, is, is really, really important. And because, movement is really, really important. Because, well, it's, it's a very, it's a big subject. <laughs> Took me all that time to say big subject. <laughs> big subject. Yes. Very articulate today. I was reading, no, what I'm trying to say, exercise reduces inflammation. Alcohol increases inflammation. If you don't move, your inflammation is increased. So the theme there is about inflammation, surely. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I'm sure there are lots of other multifactorial reasons Mm. behind it. Mm. Um, But, you know, generally we know that exercise kind of increases your cardiovascular fitness, um, you know, increases um, your mental well-being. It... it, um, enables you to, I guess, if you're overweight, it can help you reduce your weight and um, it can maintain, you know, if you're trying to maintain a steady weight, then that can that can also be helpful as well. Um, and maintaining a steady weight is, is um, an important thing rather than, you know, being too overweight and then and then losing the weight and increasing your weight and losing your weight, trying to maintain a steady weight is quite helpful. Is that and, because you know, is that because the body likes stability and it's too much stress? I think so. Yeah, your, your body likes stability and um, anything that stresses the body, you know, logic. If you think about it logically, you know, it won't like. Similarly, with you know stress, if you're if you're stressed, you know, your body will. Um, will manifest stress in different ways, right? Yeah. And, and different people manifest stress in different ways, you know. Yeah. Some people will have skin problems. Some people will have, you know, headaches. Some or GI will, or something, yeah. Or GI symptoms. I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, the body is fascinating and yeah. and stress stress can, can, you know, can, I guess, be triggers for certain, for certain um, illnesses as well. So, you know, just generally being being mindful about our health um, and doing, you know, things like getting enough sleep, again, is another important thing that we don't talk very much. But 
um, sleep again is really important. Getting enough of it is 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 something that we need to to be aware of as well. It doesn't fit in with our economy, though, does it? Sleep, work, work, work. Yeah, you must work. You must work. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's these these trials of um, um, four day working week in in certain parts of the country at the moment. Yeah, I heard um, that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's brilliant. Personally. Tim Tim Ferriss's four hour work week book. Yeah. Yeah, but also, well, that's for our working week. Yeah. Um, there are links uh, that there's, I think there are studies being um, undertaken currently to see whether productivity um, is either better or worse or, or the same if people work a four-day week mm-hmm. rather than, um, you know, rather than a four, well, a five-day week. A four-day um, week, then you have a three-day weekend because no one ever feels yeah. better until Sunday. Yeah. Really, do they? Yeah, yeah. Not. Exactly. I've always been self-employed, so I can't really talk about it, but I know that when my husband was working full-time, or actually he still works full-time, he'd be really cross right. if he hears that. He'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly more flexible, let's say that. Yeah. yeah. You get to Saturday and you're kind of like, oh, and you get to Sunday and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. Oh, I've got to get back to work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, I, I don't know. I think just just generally being being um, being healthy and and more mindful of what we eat. And just going back, you know, to the alcohol. I mean, as I said, mm. there's a lot of research, but the, the top line of why why alcohol is is deemed to be um, kind of uh, has a negative impact on on breast cancer is because. Um, there's a suggestion that increases um, breast cancer risk by causing damage to to at, at the cellular oh, level, at the right. DNA cellular right, level. Right, right, right. Um, and if you know anything that increases the chance of cellular level damage, um, is is not a good thing, especially if you've if you've been affected by breast cancer. So you've named um, it. Thank you. Yeah, so so that that's that's uh, one of the reason, and the other reason is they think that increases estrogen level. But I'm, um, yeah. I'm not sure about that. But yeah, interesting. So, interesting. But you know, alcohol generally, as we know, can affect your liver um, yeah. as well, um, yeah. and it has you know other other damaging um, kind of um, negative impacts on on body in general. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't stop drinking alcohol at all. You should reduce your risk, uh, reduce the amount of alcohol that you drink. If yeah. you can stop it, that's great. But, you know, reducing the, the consumption is, is good. Before we wrap up, it's yeah. been really interesting talking with you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to say that I've missed or that you feel you haven't had the opportunity to, to state, particularly with October being Breast Awareness Month? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously this is kind of a foodie type, podcast and we've talked a lot about you know it's about people's relationship with food and how that affects their behavior yeah so you're we've normally normally that's what i talk about so i've been quite specific with you but it it felt really well it was just felt an important important episode to make yeah and i think um you know i hope that people are just a little bit more aware now of of just general health um and how that can impact um your your cancer risk and breast cancer risk specifically. Um, obviously, it's important to be breast aware and examining your breast regularly once a month. Um, that's 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 really good. You know, you don't have to examine your breast necessarily every day. Mm. Once a month is enough. Mm. Um, and just be aware of your breasts and um, be aware of what normal is for you. And that way, any abnormalities. Um, you know anything that is not right then you'll be you'll be more aware of and yeah you know. and, and also we had a little chat before we we started didn't we Tasha about what we were going to talk about and so we have stayed away from uh the emotional resonance of mental distress within the body and mental unease being made manifest so we are aware that there's that whole other area and if we had longer we might have delved in and, and explored that but I'm just encouraging people to to read, you know, to, to educate and to inform themselves and go to Dr. Tasha's podcast and her YouTube channel. Before you go, if you were going to an island, any island, any climate, yeah. mm-hmm. what five foods would you take with you? You do have a store cupboard. 
seasoning, olive oil. Oh, maybe wow. chili sauce. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Mm. Five food. Five. Five. Mm. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> I know everyone's so eloquent and then they go, oh. I know. Oh, really? this is a difficult oh, question. It's a difficult one. You okay. might change your mind tomorrow. This is today. This is the island okay. today. Yeah. Right. Be free. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so five. So let me think. Okay. I will bring, um, and these are going to be really quite random. Okay. Good. <laughs> this is things random. that are just going to yes. pop into my head. <laughs> um, I will, um, okay. I'll bring coriander. Mm-hmm which is really weird because when I was a kid, I hated it. Did it taste like soap? I still can't eat it. I uh, I know. It just, I don't know. I just really, really <laughs> dislike coriander. And when, whenever we went to Asia yeah, um, and, you know, we'd go to like a restaurant, whatever, yeah. and I always ask my parents, you know, can you please tell them not to use coriander because they just use coriander with everything. Yeah. And they would just look at me like, what do you mean? What, what Are you my daughter? <laughs> I know, what? That's bizarre. So anyway, so now I've like really, I just can't live without a so coriander, definitely. Wow. Um, I would have chilies. Can't yeah. live without chilies. Mm-hmm. I would, um, hmm, I would have um, oranges. Okay. I would bring um, noodles. Mm-hmm. And... I guess I need to, oh, I need to cook, right? Can I, you do, do I have cook? Listen, your island, live how you want. Okay. Uh, uh, okay, well, if I can grow my own vegetables in that, can I grow my vegetables okay, in so an you've island? Just grown loads of food and I said five. Yes, you can. You're allowed. Okay. Okay, <laughs> fine. So I've got my vegetable patch. I can grow that. So I'll have no. to bring some, some kind of, you know, some oil, I guess. So I can cook, I can cook. Meal. You've got, you've got one in the cupboard. You're just massively oh, cheating. Massively cheating. <laughs> Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. Really good fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.